The following program is sponsored by Wealth Enhancement Group. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Wealth Enhancement Group or its guests and do not reflect the opinions of News Talk 830 and Odyssey Inc. Advisory services offered through Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services, LLC. A registered investment advisor. Certain but not all investment advisor representatives at Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services are also registered representatives of and offer securities through LPL Financial Member FINRA, SIPC. Wealth Enhancement Group and Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services are separate entities from LPL. Wealth Enhancement Group is a registered trademark of Wealth Enhancement Group, LLC. Sound strategies to make sense of your financial life. Answers to everyday questions pertaining to your money. Brought to you by Wealth Enhancement Group. Helping you to plan and invest with confidence and clarity. After all, it's your money. Rashini Rajkumar here. You are listening to Your Money on WCCO Radio with hosts Peg and Bruce. Many folks are sandwiched between helping their children and caring for their parents. Today, Bruce and Peg are here to answer your questions on making parental care financially feasible. You can text and call them on our studio line, 651-989-9226. And of course, during the week, you can ask your questions of Peg and Bruce at 888-6ADVICE or email your money at wealthenhancement.com. Now, here's Senior Vice President, Financial Advisor, Peg Webb, and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, Financial Advisor, Bruce Helmer. Good morning, Bruce and Peg. Good morning. Hey, Rashini. Hey, Peg. Rashini, that's a, that's a great lead-in. And, Peg, I, I want to jump right to it, but we would be remiss if we did not wish Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. I get, I know not everyone is listening to this show live on a, on Sunday, Mother's Day. It might be uh, a different day when you're listening, but it's close to Mother's Day or Mother's Day when you're hearing us right now. And uh, we just have to, happy Mother's, Mother's Day, Peg. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. And uh, I, I, I say it every year, and it sounds, it's, I can't take credit for it. It's a quote I picked up somewhere, but I read one time that uh, mom is God's greatest gift to mankind. It's pretty hard to argue with that. Yeah, thank you, Bruce, and thanks um, to everybody out there for listening today. If you're if you're a mom, um, just make sure that you make it your day. Let everybody spoil you. <laughs> yeah, that's good advice. So that's also a good segue. And Rashini set it up really, really well. The sandwich generation, taking care of your aging parents while maybe you haven't fully launched your adult children. Um, and Peg, we've got some thoughts and ideas and advice for people. But before we get to, to that, I think we need to set up why this is a topic, why this is an issue, why this is potentially a problem. And it, and it seems to me that the two biggest things are if they need help, if they can't take care of themselves and they need to go to a nursing home or some sort of facility that assists them with life, a senior assisted living facility, uh, in-home health care, adult daycare. All, there's a lot of options. But number one, nobody wants to go to the nursing home. Uh, people, aging people fight that like crazy. They don't want to lose their independence. They don't want to go there. They And and, and it's just not a choice they would make if, if they could help it. And number two, if you do have to go to one of these facilities, the cost and the drain it can it can have on someone's uh, assets and their net worth. They spend a lifetime saving, and it can all be depleted very, very quickly because of the cost. And that, that there's no bad guy here. That's just the reality. That's that. And so those two things: the 
the, the, the desire to stay out of a, a facility like that and the cost of a facility like that, that's probably the two biggest reasons why we talk about this topic. Well, and as financial advisors, we get pulled in um, more times than I can can even want to mention. I mean, because, Bruce, you hit it on the head. It It is a financial, it's a huge financial um, drain. And then it, whether we're taking care of the clients that maybe are older and have, are faced with this, but sometimes one is healthy in a couple and one is not. So we deal with that financially. And then we can't help but get tied emotionally as well, because a lot of times these clients have worked with us, you know, for decades. And But then the next generation. So sometimes we work with the kids of these parents that are dealing with that. And I'd say that's probably more so now uh, where you're, you're in your 60s and your parents are now failing in health. And um, there's always a personality within the family. What I mean is there's usually siblings, um, maybe more than one child, and then you're trying to decide amongst yourself who's going to take the brunt of this, who's going to take the responsibility and possibly delegate some of the jobs. So I call it the pull-the-part generation. You know, um, I know they call it the sandwich generation, but from what we witness, Bruce, sometimes I want to call it the pull-the-part generation because after all of these years of these kids being independent and living all over the world, they're then pulled back together to take care of mom or dad. Yeah, that's, I like that. I've, I, I've not heard you say that before, but I, I think it's completely on point, and I, I like that a lot. So one of the things we do is we actually coach our clients if they're in their 60s, and this might sound kind of selfish, but continue to save for your own retirement by putting yourself first. So what happens is, is a lot of times you get drawn in, and of course there's just this emotional um, pull because it's mom or dad, and you look back at all the things they've done for you, and you want to step up to the plate, right? But you also have these children that might still be in college or just starting to buy their first home, or you're just having your brand-new grandchild, but here we are, we're actually continuing to try to get the client to, to do it all. We want them to continue to, um, you know, add to their retirement and, you know, don't take on a lot of debt to help your parents because that digs a huge hole. So the what we've witnessed is and what we've coached is communication is key. So if you can pull the family members in, try to figure out and set boundaries for how much time you're able to devote to care for someone. How much can you really afford to be out of the workforce? Because a lot of this, the, the, the homework and the research that you have to do is during the daytime. And how much can you afford to spend out of your budget? And then once you've decided all that, you need to communicate that to your parents and probably include um, your brothers and sisters. Man, that's all great advice. That's, that's, that's excellent, Peg. Um, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, so again, 
be, because helping your parents and or helping your kids and, and again, most of us want to do that. It's it's a it's a generous, loving thing to do, but it's it be but if it if it's detrimental to you, and we've both seen this, you know, it's it's the Sandwich generation. People are not saving or investing for their own retirement because the money is going to their parents and or their kids. There's going to be a, an economic ripple effect that we've got a generation of people that aren't able to retire when they want to or will retire with a with a lifestyle that's that's you know not able to allow them to do much or enjoy their retirement. And so I don't think it's selfish to put yourself first. I mean, yes, you want to help your parents and your kids, but you still got to take care of yourself. And and because of that, a lot of times I think the default decision is, look, we can't afford to take care of mom or dad. We'll have to help them get settled into some sort of facility. But then, again, you've got this cost and this drain on their assets, and a lot of people think, wow, it doesn't matter. that you know They're not going to get thrown into the street. Somebody will take care of them. But to be eligible for medical assistance or Medicaid, and, and I'm not going to go into all the details today, but essentially you've got to spend your assets down to almost nothing before they can get help from a – from, a, from the government. So there's just no good choice here, and it's a really, really difficult, gut-wrenching, emotional thing, or at least it can be if you don't think of it in advance and plan for it in advance. Yeah, and there are some resources out there that are available, and um, one that we coach people on because they never think about it is that your company, like if you're gainfully employed, your company might offer services uh, for caregivers. So a lot of times it's buried really deep in the employee handbook. And there's some of these one-offs that maybe you don't even, you don't even know that's there. Uh, so try to take advantage of that. And then um, there, one website we like is, is it, it's an elder care locator, but to get to this elder care locator, uh, you need to go to eldercare.acl.gov. It's actually a, a U.S. administration of aging um, that has this website. And literally when you pull it up, it'll say where do you live and give you resources that are near you. So that's, that's a great one. And then there's other federal programs uh, for caregivers. And then everybody listening probably knows ARP right? They know ARP.org. They tend to have lots of good articles and uh, direction as to where to go to get some of these services um, close to you. And then uh, tax benefits. Don't forget about taxes. Sometimes there's tax benefits for either giving money or um, taking some of your time. And that's in kind of the fine print of the tax code. And I feel like Bruce, I have to say again, you don't know what you don't know. So ask questions. If you know of somebody that's been in this circumstance before, ask your financial advisor, you know, where can you find some information or whether we've had circumstances where we've had to help clients similar to them. Yeah. So uh, again, if you're just joining us, we're talking about uh, helping your aging parents and I'll, I'll just throw in, and, and oftentimes, simultaneously, you're trying to help 
your adult children or near adult children and, and get them launched at the same time. And the burden that it puts on you being stuck in the middle, the so-called sandwich generation. And so far we said, you know, you got to put yourself first. It's not selfish to make sure that you're saving and investing for your own retirement, that you're not going into debt, that you, that you set boundaries and you communicate and let, let your, your folks and your kids know what you can do and what you can't do. And then Peg just brought up a really good point. Um, elder care locate, Cater or sometimes your company gives you options. So these these are little hints or things of advice that might be helpful. What else, Peg? Well, we've had some clients uh, actually have their mom or dad move in with them, like a mother-in-law, father-in-law apartment. And what I've witnessed is a lot of times they consider this even when the parents are in their 70s and they're not they don't have failed health yet. Uh, it's just an idea to, to say, hey, you know, and maybe they don't live in the same uh, city that they used to, the kids, so they invite their parent to move to um, Montana or Texas or wherever they are, and then they purchase a house that has uh, an apartment for them. That actually can work out. I've seen good and bad. What I've witnessed is, is as the parent ages, uh, the the kids are not the, the the ones who welcome them in the home in a mother-in-law apartment. They're not actually prepared for when they get in their 80s and 90s um, and how this is going to work and, and how they've kind of committed themselves to take care of them now that they're in their home. Uh, and the other siblings, I think, get somewhat confused that, oh, since mom is living with sister, you know, I don't have anything to do with that now. She's kind of taken the whole brunt of it. So I think you have to have even a conversation with your siblings as well as if you do this for your mom or dad, that you're still going to need help. Um, again, great point. And it made me think of something, and this wasn't even in any of our material for the show today, but it's a reality that I've seen. So you want to help uh, your, your aging parent, but let, let's say it's a, it's a married couple, and the people that need help are her parents or one yeah. of her parents. And he's not necessarily always happy about the things that she is doing for her mom and dad. Not that he doesn't love his mother-in-law or father-in-law, but the strain that it puts on them financially or emotionally, um, this can cause discourse within uh, the, the the married couple. This can be a huge problem. And, and Again, I say this not to be negative, but to tell people to be aware of this possibility and to be patient and, 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 and sympathetic and, and empathetic and, and, and sensitive that this is a tough time and it's going to possibly impact you guys as well trying to help. And you know what, Bruce, is the parents don't necessarily want it either. You, I mean, there's great pride in being able to take care of yourself and and not having to move in with someone. And so um, we see all those struggles and try to assist in education around that and kind of make aware of, Bruce, what you just said so that there isn't any elephants in the room. Like you just all of a sudden discover that this is going to happen if you go ahead with it. So that goes under kind of setting expectations 
not only with yourself as a couple, but then your siblings, and I've mentioned this before, and then with your parents, how do you think this is going to work? And you kind of have to go down the road a little bit to say, okay, we're all in versus, hey, this on a whim, this sounds like a good idea. And then there's also someone that needs to be kind of financially savvy. You know, do they, do you have a power of attorney? Do you have, do they have long-term care? Do they have pro, you know, money to uh, support this, the future life? And, and, um, and then for yourselves, you have to see, oh, did I have reduction in my 401k contributions because I took time off or do I get less social security benefits? I would investigate all of this before you make a too big of a commitment because we're seeing it on the backside, Bruce, where they didn't have these conversations. They didn't figure out who was good at what job to, to make this all smooth. And that's painful. In, in all of this, we would be remiss if we did not mention long-term care insurance and both for maybe the aging parents, although at a certain point, they might not be insurable or it might be cost prohibitive. But again, also for the middle of the sandwich, um, because you might be uh, investing and saving less, it may be even more important for you to transfer that future risk that you might have that your parents are having right now to minimize your future expenses. Talk a little bit about that. Um, well, if, if, if you can, any event that may be down the road, if you can prepare for it, both um, mentally and financially, then it gives such a, a bigger contentment that you are prepared. That's kind of what we do every day, Bruce, financial planning, comprehensive planning. We, we encourage people to take a look at the future and put numbers to it. And it's amazing how the clients that we work with, Bruce, and goes with long-term care too, um, that that's a, that's a um, answer to a problem that might be down the road. But it gives such a com- contentment to live their life then and kind of walk around with their head high and say, hey, world, you can do anything to me financially, but I am prepared, you know? So that's yeah. just a whole different attitude than crossing your fingers and hoping that this never happens to you. Um, what else? We've got a couple minutes before we need to go to break. What else do we want to make sure listeners know some other advice about taking care of uh, aging parents uh, while at the same time not neglecting themselves or their adult children? Well, we don't want to uh, forget about, you know, talking to your financial advisor because they actually are very knowledgeable about what steps to do. Like, do you have a power of attorney? Make sure your beneficiaries are all in place. Um, If you happen to be the primary caregiver amongst your siblings, make sure that they all know that you have the power of attorney, but yet you still want their emotional, mental um, support. And then also advanced healthcare directives. Just make sure because that's a tough one. If they're in the hospital and, you know, you got to know clearly what are their wishes and maybe understand that ahead of time as well, Bruce. A um, couple things. I just want to go back really quickly. I brought up long-term care insurance and I, I should note, I know there's listeners out there that are saying there's no way I would ever buy that. It's too expensive. I don't believe in it. Or maybe there's people out there that bought it and saw their premiums go up and it has a bad taste in their mouth. 
But again, we're not saying everybody should buy long-term care insurance. We, but we tell all of our clients to plan for your future. And if you're not going to insure that risk by transferring the risk to a large multi-billion dollar insurance company, what are you going to do? But again, for many listeners, it is an appropriate strategy. It is a solution to a lot of these future problems that you can, uh, that you can feel good about long before you get there. But the other thing, Peg, that I thought of is in, in the midst of all this, if you, if you, if you haven't insured the risk and you, and you have to pay for it out of pocket or you have to take care of people or your parents have to move in, at some point, it's, you're probably going to need to talk to a lawyer and not any lawyer, but a very specific type of practitioner called an elder care attorney. Yes, and an elder care attorney can help you, you know, figure out what assets you can utilize and, you know, how they're taxed. And they also know a lot about uh, what you what you can get, you know, if you don't have enough money, uh, the resources. All right, I think we're about due for a break. When we come back, we'll, we'll finish the discussion and cover anything that we didn't cover. And then, Rashini, most of the second half, let's let the listeners drive the show. Absolutely. I want to remind people of the phone and text line. Both are the same number, live, 651-989-9226. You can call Bruce and Peg. You can text Bruce and Peg. They obviously have lots of great information. This is such an important topic. We have some texts coming in just to give people sort of a little teaser for the second half of the show, asking about Social Security issues as well as that long-term care, those policies that you're talking about, and some of the nuances that go into those. So really uh, good information, some good text coming in. Again, your calls and texts welcome. Your personalized questions for Peg and Bruce. 651-989-9226. We're talking about the sandwich generation, worrying about your kids, helping them as they grow, as well as caring for your parents. We'll get into all of that with your calls and texts when we return. We are back. Rashini Rajkumar here along with your hosts of Your Money, Bruce and Peg. Lots of texts coming in. Want to give you the phone and text line 651-989-9226 for your questions, very real questions for Peg and Bruce right now. Uh, let's go right to the text line, Bruce and Peg. The first question here, can you do a 1031 exchange on a contract for deed? Uh, thanks, Rashini, and thanks to the texter. And again, uh, I, I like the question because I was going to say um, we 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 will take any and all financial questions, not only the questions on today's topic about the sandwich generation and taking care of aging parents. Although, if that's where you want the focus to be, that's kind of where we've where we've been today. And I know, Peg, you wanted to share one other uh, key real life uh, situation that you experienced, but Peg. 1031, so for people that don't know, a 1031, that's a section of the tax code that essentially allows you to trade one piece of real estate for another to avoid paying the taxes on the gain. So if you if you bought a piece of real estate, whatever it might be, it might be raw land, it might be a single-family home, it might be a duplex or an apartment complex, and now you want to sell that and you're going to sell it for more than you paid for it, you have to pay capital gains taxes on, on the gain. And one of the ways to delay that or avoid that temporarily is to trade in that property for another property, a 1031 like kind exchange. But the question is, can you do that uh, if the property is uh, on a contract for deed? 
I haven't run into this for a while, but a couple of years ago, I ran into this with a client and uh, they did indeed go get legal advice from a real estate attorney. But the client came back to me and said that what they had to do, had to do because I update their financial inventory and there was this contract for deed on their asset list and then it was gone. And so I followed up with him when he had his next review and he said, oh, the um, I got the advice that I needed to have the contract for deed paid off, you know, paid off before I could do the 1031. So I haven't had uh, that question for a couple of years, but that's what happened in the past. Does it feel like um, we're talking less about 1031s today than we did maybe a decade ago? Um, I think you're right. I, I feel like they come up often because people are knowledgeable that there's some strategy out there where they can defer the capital gains. I'm not a huge fan of deferring capital gains for the long term with the uncertainty of the fact that they may be higher down the road. So when all is said and done, as much as we explain the 1031 method, uh, I would say 90% of the time they don't go through with a 1031. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think it's even higher. I was just thinking about that right before you said it. I think I can count on one hand the number of times that we've actually done helped a client with a 1031. I've been doing this, what, 36 years. I think I can count on one hand the number of times we've done it. We brought it up in my career probably 100 times or more, but very seldom when you really run the numbers and you look at the pros and cons, very seldom does it actually seem to make sense at the end of the day and the client chooses uh, not to do it. Hey, before we get to more text, I know you wanted to share something about today's topic with listeners. Well, I just thought, uh, the, I know the listeners, um, you know, like kind of maybe real life stories or something that they can that they can feel is similar to them. And I'm actually one of seven children. And yes, back then, you know, uh, people had seven children. I had, you know, aunt and uncle who had, you know, 13 children. So it was grew up on a farm and um, but I'm one of seven. And so, yeah, we have a happy Mother's Day mom, but we have a mom who who um, adores each one of us independently of our natural skills, I would say. But the seven children have, you know, vary in age, right? The span is 11 years apart, so the oldest one versus the, the youngest one. And what I find in kind of watching our family is that the older children, some that are already retired, tend to pick up the the help, if you will. So taking mom to the doctor and, um, you know, and actually live closer by, you know. So if you don't live in the same state, it's kind of hard to, um, you know, take your mom to the doctor. So what we have done is kind of sit down and look at the seven siblings' skill sets and not taking into consideration the in-laws. But, you know, some kids are really good at research, uh, we got a couple teachers. They're good at supervising. You know, um, some are good at moral support. Some really know the finance world and are good, you know, good at that. But then uh, some people are just good at doing the bills. And so I feel like I just wanted to say, Bruce, you know, a team effort. And it actually, 
you know, brings your siblings and yourself uh, back together, too. If you haven't have been hanging out together, it's just an excuse to say, hey, you know, let's make a plan when it comes to our parents versus just uh, having one person take the burden. That's such an inspirational thing, Peg, because so often I see the opposite, that things like this tend to tear families apart and cause problems. The fact that if you can actually turn it into a family positive and sort of reunite and strengthen the family dynamic, that's awesome. That's a, that's a, that's a great share. Thank you. All right, Rasheen, let's let listeners drive us the rest of the way. All right, so this person has some details here for you, Peg and Bruce. My husband is 72. I'm 66. We own our business, plan to work until I am 70 to get my full Social Security. My husband started collecting Social Security at 70. We both have been contributed to long-term care policy for 30 years. My concern is that it does not cover as much as we will need for stay-at-home care or nursing home care because prices have gone up so much. Can we buy a supplemental plan or additional plan to make sure that our expenses will be covered should we need them? What a great question. So a, a lot of the detail there, and thank you, Texture and Machini, for all that detail. Peg, a lot of that detail isn't necessary really to answer the question. So they have long-term care, but because of rising costs, they, you know, they got their long-term care 30 years ago it's not going to cover as well as they would like to. Yes. The answer is yes. You can always, always investigate additional long-term care policies or uh, what's becoming uh, popular now is what's called a hybrid long-term care policy. So there's traditional and there's hybrid. So the traditional policies, especially if it was sold and endorsed 30 years ago, was paying a premium uh, probably for the rest of your life annually and then having a contract that tells you what they'll pay for. And the texter is correct in the fact that the uh, cost of things have has gone up so quickly that maybe that policy from 30 years ago didn't have inflation rider where they tried to keep up or they did and they didn't anticipate that the uh, cost was going to go this high. So you can look at adding to your traditional policy or a hybrid policy is a combination of long-term care benefits with an insurance policy. Uh, the, in, the insurance industry has come out with, I think it's creative and, and it actually helps um, get people off the fence, if you will, to try to protect their costs of long-term care possibly coming. And what it is, is you have a face value, let's say, of 300,000 life insurance and that life insurance and that policy, if you did have a long-term care event, can turn into an income stream for your long-term care while you're alive. And then if you don't have a long-term care event, then that 300,000 face value will go to your beneficiaries, whoever you list. So that way, instead of paying premiums for 30 years like this texture did and what if they never use it, this way with the insurance policy, they know that they'll get their money back from making premiums, but at least go to their kids or whoever they'd like as a beneficiary. I love and agree with everything you just said. I just, I only want to add that if for some reason you can't afford to add to it or you don't qualify, again, you got to be uh, underwritten by the insurance company and they, they don't have to take on the risk if they think they don't want to. So if either you can't get it, or you can't afford it, I would say having the ability to pay 
some of the cost, even if it's not all of it, still puts you ahead of most people. And I'm also going to speculate, Peg, if they've had that policy for 30 years, they've seen some increases in premium. And that's one of the things I'm hearing from uh, consumers now is that, you know, they bought a long-term care policy that they could afford, but the premium kept going up so that either they couldn't afford it anymore or they had to dilute their coverage to be able to continue to pay for it. And I can't ever tell anybody that that's not going to happen, but I can say that's less likely today than it was 30 years ago or even 10 years ago. They used to underwrite long-term care insurance with unlimited coverage. There was no cap. Therefore, the insurance company, when they when they actually tried to calculate the cost, how do you do that? They, they didn't know how long they were going to be uh, vulnerable for. They didn't know what their risk exposure was. So the policies issued today, I think, are less likely to see increases in premium because the insurance companies are uh, giving uh, are offering not unlimited coverage, but a specific dollar amount. It's either a, a, a time period of coverage or a dollar amount of coverage, so they know what their risk exposure is, and actuarially they can price it better. So um, some of these horror stories from old policies, I think, are less likely to happen today. And again. I'm not lobbying for long-term care. Not everyone should buy it, but it is a good solution for a lot of people listening to us right now. And as part of comprehensive financial planning, it's something that if our clients want, we will always do that analysis. Uh, Pam is our our, ex, our in-house specialist for all of our teams. Pam Crease, she has a great job, very knowledgeable, and 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 then at least you can make a decision to either uh, invest in that strategy or not based on really good information so that you're making a fully informed decision. All right, we have a lot of great texts coming in. Remind people of the number in case you want to call or text in our remaining few minutes. 651-989-9226. Peg and Bruce, kind of related to the previous question this person is asking regarding long-term care insurance, is there a general amount of money you can set aside to consider yourself self-insured? Uh, Rasheen, that's also a great question. Peg, a lot of people think they, they don't need to transfer the risk to a multi-billion dollar insurance company because they'll just save or invest enough money that they can pay for it themselves. You want to comment on that? Yeah, I, I, I think that's possible. Uh, one of the first things we look at is what is your fixed income that you can count on? So Social Security would be one um, I've got clients where both of them have uh, pensions and very good ones that are going to pay for the rest of both of their lives. So that's some certainty there. And then uh, depending on how much liquid money and how much you've saved, uh, we can look at and see what the possible danger of draining those accounts are. I also take the time to explain that you can use your own money uh, but then that will lessen the legacy. And so if the value if a value of theirs is to get their wealth down to the next generation, then they might consider transferring that risk to a, an insurance company versus taking it on themselves. So bottom line, yes, lots of our clients could afford to take that risk. But the question is, do you want to? and make sure that you're well-educated on the pros and cons and that you can make a good decision. And a lot of people actually can't save enough money. They might think they can, 
but they, they but they're probably greatly underestimating that potential cost. And and the other thing I would say, Peg, and, and I'm not I don't know the the absolute specifics of your financial situation, but I have a rough idea. I'm I'm pretty sure you can self insure the risk. And I could self-insure the risk. I don't say that to be boastful or ostentatious, but you and I both own long-term care insurance. I know we do. And the reason, primary reason I did it is because even though I could pay for it myself, I didn't want to delete my assets and, and reduce my legacy to, to, to loved ones. I want to leave as big of a legacy as I can. And I understand the statistics and the math. And I understand that the premiums paid for long-term care as opposed to the risk of what you could pay out of pocket is a proverbial drop in the bucket. So it's a decision I made, even though I could self-insure the risk. So to your point and to the texture, yes, it's possible, but it's probably harder than you think. But even if it's possible, and it, you and I would be advocates for, we want to transfer that risk to the insurance company anyway, so it doesn't reduce our assets. Well, and also, Bruce, I want my husband or my daughter to pick up the phone and call this life insurance, this long-term care insurance people, and get the assistance. I don't want to burden anyone. I don't want my husband, Mike, to feel like he's going to become unhealthy trying to take care of me. And or both of us, I don't want my daughter, Nicole, to have to feel like she doesn't have the assistance, you know, to be able to take care of us. So that's another motivating reason. And I think I often say on the show, you know, each generation is a little bit more selfish than the one before. So when <laughs> so when you when you picture your children saying, hey, they're all lining up to take care of you. You know, um, I just don't see the world that way down the road. So I want to protect myself with the actual insurance. Great point. All right. We, we've got a caller and we got many really good texts we'll try to get to before we have to say goodbye. Mary is calling from Oakdale. Hi there, Mary. Hi there. I My question is you urge us to get long-term care insurance, but we're not told that in order to collect it, we have to have two things wrong in order to collect. We can't just move in and collect. Hey, Mary. Uh, thank you for your uh, your call. And if you're a mom, happy Mother's Day. And you raise a really good point. So, Peg, um, and, and, and I just want to say we're not necessarily advocating buying long-term care insurance. We're advocating long-term care planning, which may include transferring the risk to an insurance company, but not necessarily. That's not the right choice for everyone. But peg long-term care. How do you file a claim? How do you how do you collect? Um, you know, because the the fear that people have is they spend all this money on premiums and they die healthy and they never get to file a claim. When can they file a claim? Yeah, I think she's asking about these uh, activities of daily living, and I don't have these memorized, but it's um, you know taking a shower and dressing yourself and feeding yourself, and so you actually have to have a couple of those that you can't do to even start the process to make the claim. It's yeah, it's two out of whatever, two out of six and I and shame on me, I should have that memorized too. But yeah, it's being able to get up, uh, to take your medications if you have them, to feed yourself, to dress yourself, to be able to, to go to the bathroom by yourself. And if and if you're unable to do two of those things, then you should be able to, to qualify. But Peg, I've never I don't think I've ever heard of an insurance company 
fighting a, a, a claim. I think that's when, when someone's eligible, I think that is pretty straightforward. Yeah, I, I mean, there's paperwork, there's um, there's things that you have to do, uh, and and with anything, right? And, and it's a contract, and 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 they're going to uh, maybe ask for more information because they just want to make sure that you're eligible at that point in time. But Bruce, you're right. I haven't had struggles with clients being able to get um, the monies that they well deserve for paying those premiums over all those decades. All right. This person says, if I take early Social Security at 63, full retirement age is 66, and I still work and earn 80000 a year, will I have to pay Social Security back? <laughs> okay, so this is a really good question. And as much as we talk about this, Social Security is still really confusing for most people. Peg? Yeah, so if you are 63 and you make a claim, but you're still earning 80000 thousand then basically our coaching would be do not take social security it's very complex because they're actually going to pull back a bunch of it anyway because you're you make too much so i would wait until you fully retire or you get to full retirement age before you would turn it on yeah in fact the eighty thousand goes way over i think it's this year it's eighteen thousand and something that you can't make more than Rasheed, can we fit in one more? Yeah, I think we can, Bruce. This person says, what is a better option, pay monthly premiums or pay one-time annuity-type long-term care insurance? Oh, so, yeah, Peg, single-pay long-term care, or there used to be, like, 10-pay long-term care. I don't even know if those still exist. Well, I don't see them often. Hindsight, I actually took the monthly for the rest of my life. In hindsight, I wish I would have done the 10-year because – I, too, didn't understand how much more expensive uh, it was going to be. And the 10 pay, if you paid 10 years, you actually don't get any of these increases. Few people could afford to buy that, though, because it was not inexpensive. Um, People who did buy it usually owned a corporation, and they were able to um, have that as an expense of their business. Um, And so those are the policies that I endorsed at that time. But um, monthly is is perfectly fine uh, when I'm talking to my clients. Yeah, I'm also doing it monthly, and I'll do it until you know until I pass away or I'm able to file a claim. But I agree with you. In hindsight, maybe I would have done things differently. But we we did it so long ago. We that we we did it based on what we knew then, and and so uh, the world and the industry has changed a little bit. Rashini, I know we're about out of time, but again, happy Mother's Day to all the moms and. Thanks to all the listeners for listening. Yeah, happy Mother's Day, Peg, and happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. You can ask your questions of Peg and Bruce during the week. Call 888-6ADVICE or email them your money at wealthenhancement.com. And then remember, we'll be back with more Your Money next Sunday. Make it a great week. Make it a fabulous Mother's Day. And get those questions in during the week, and we'll get back to them next week. The previous program was sponsored by Wealth Enhancement Group. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Wealth Enhancement Group or its guests and do not reflect the opinions of News Talk 830 and Odyssey, Inc.